This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike him, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts just use the glorious promo code PODCAST1. So you get the 50% welcome bonus. He is the star of the show, Matt Waldman. You can follow him on Twitter like I do, at Matt Waldman. You can also check out the unbelievably in-depth rookie scouting portfolio. That is Matt Waldman, rsp.com. That's the URL you need to know about. Rookie scouting portfolio, Matt Waldman, rsp.com. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Five teams, seven years, you know that, at Ross Tucker NFL's my social media, at RTF Podcast, is how you can get all of our shows as soon as they are posted. And yes, I am doing this from the car. It's a long, long story. If you listen to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, you know uh, my flight was diverted and blah, blah, blah. You must have your podcast. And... Matt does most of the talking on this show anyway, so we're okay. We thought we would do something a little bit different today that we've never done before, but I'm really fired up for it. And Matt, we're going to do lessons that we should all learn or take from the scouting process based upon the Super Bowl. So let's do that, Matt, because if you don't look at the teams in the Super Bowl, their young players, why they're having success, what, what are we even doing this for? That's the whole point, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's and it's one of those things that when you talk about these teams, they're going to get there in different ways. So there's no single way to make it happen. It's not a template, you know, though a lot of teams hope to make it a template when they start copying each other in terms of how they how they work but there are numerous ways and the Chiefs and the 49ers definitely show why that's the case it's a really good point that it's not a template people always talk about it being a copycat league but just because it works for one team doesn't mean it would work for the other but it does at least allow us to look at young players that are having success and maybe why they were missed in the scouting process and we can debate whether or not they should have gone higher in the draft based on what we've seen from them so far. Why don't we start Matt with the Kansas city chiefs and start with their rookie receiver, McCole Hardman, who you know a whole lot about uh, living down there in Athens, the speedster from Georgia, I'll just say he is breathtaking to watch at times when the ball is in his hands. 
Yeah, and I'd say there's three lessons to learn when you think about Harmon. One is that you don't have to be a complete player at the position if you have skills that really that are high-end and compensate for maybe the lack of technical ability. You also have a case where the Chiefs drafted for redundancy here, and they were thinking ahead. So when you talk about Hardman, he was no way a complete receiver prospect. I mean, you're not going to ask him to run the entire route tree and to make certain types of plays that you would look for from a primary receiver right away. But he's that exceptional circumstance where when you have elite speed and you have competent technical skills, that's enough to warrant a higher draft grade. And that's why he was picked early, in addition to the fact that, listen, this is a team that already has Tyreek Hill, who is in a more complete receiver, but very much in the same vein as Hardman, a more refined version of that. So you're drafting for redundancy when you can already compound defensive quandaries with Hill and Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey. Why not throw in another guy who basically can stretch the field um, horizontally and vertically after the catch and, and be a guy that's going to be able to run under some of those uh, you know, amazing throws that Patrick Mahomes can make. And with Hill in the situation that he was, you know, this spring and summer, there was some redundancy there where they could still use him in that basic way to stretch the field and use him in, in some of those capacities for the, for the game plan, where if Hill was going to be out, that Hardman could at least fulfill some of the field stretching issues that defenses would have to deal with now with him and Hardman both able to be on the field at the same time in certain sets. It's just uh, it's a handful for any defense to be able to deal with. And he gets to work behind Hill and learn what Hill does well while waiting for a chance to assume an even bigger role. So as Hill's contract, you know, as we look at Hill's contract or as we see uh, how Hill's, um, you know, career progresses, Hardman can be a guy waiting in the wings and developing and maybe has a chance to develop into an even more complete and refined player. Fantastic points, Matt. As usual, I almost forgot that they drafted Hardman for redundancy because they were worried that Tyreek Hill might be suspended, might be kicked out of the NFL right around draft time in the spring, and they wanted to make sure they still had a speed element. I guess what stands out to me is that you can really never have too much speed. And it's really nice to have another super fast guy in addition to your crazy fast guy because it's a really, really tough cover, especially for second corners, especially for if they're going to double team Hill and have safety help over the top there. Um, nobody's ever said we have too much speed. Terrific point on the redundancy point and guys, you know, taking what they do well and using them for that, as opposed to the things they don't do great yet. What about uh, safety Juan Thornhill, who people have almost forgotten about Matt, but he was having a terrific season until he got hurt. Yeah. And I think it's important that we talk about him because he really helped this defense come together and in a way with under Spagnolo's. Um, you know, coaching. And I think the first lesson about him is seeing potential from a position switch, also understanding the scheme fit, and then building on strengths once again, while minimizing weaknesses. And when you look at Thornhill, he was a ball hawk defensive back at Virginia who had difficulty as a tackler. 
He played safety later in his college career, but a lot of teams, because they liked his length and hands, they considered switching him back to corner. But the Chiefs understood the value of Virginia's switch to make him a safety, and they regarded him as a safety. And you can see with their scheme, they understood how he was really a great fit for them because, um, you know, most players aren't scheme independent, especially defenders. So Thornhill, with his hands, his vertical leap, that aggressive style of play and coverage that he has, and his recognition of route patterns, which is very important in Spagnolo's defense, where they'll often switch off um, defenders, where they'll bait the, the quarterback with a look where it looks like they're covering um, a, a certain man, and then they're actually covering a zone or an area, and they make a switch late in the play to bait the, re, the quarterback to throw. And so when you have a, a player like Thornhill who can bait um, quarterbacks like that, then it allows him to be able to peel off of a receiver with that bait and switch and then use his hands well to be able to make a big play. And this is important because the Chiefs, when you talk about building on strengths rather than minimizing weaknesses, it's not just for the player, it's for the team. I mean, the Chiefs have a great offense. They strike fast and pile on points, and their defense has had trouble stopping the run even last year, year before. Why are you going to focus on stopping the run when your offense builds enough leads that can force the opposing offense to throw the ball. It would be better right away to just build on the strength of the defense, which is rushing the passer and capitalizing on that pressure downhill with ball hawking defensive backs. And when you add Thornhill to Kendall Fuller and then, you know, the freelancing Tyron Matthew, that helps them take advantage of that defense that earns the interior pressure from the likes of Chris Jones. And then Matthews can play the run well and earn work the shallow area why you have Thornhill can do more deep as well as occasionally face receivers one-on-one. -on -one. So in this case, you're instead of just trying to fix something in a grand scheme of things, you can make some little tweaks to your defense that where they may not statistically be an awesome defense, you're, you're helping them out in an area where they're going to see the, the greatest number of situations, which is offense is playing from behind, and then you've got players who can actually do a good job against that. Uh, I love it. Uh, what a good draft, by the way, for the Chiefs to get Hardman and Thornhill where they got them. I mean, major contributors as rookies. Uh, and, and you make a great point. Your safeties have to be able to cover these days. I almost wouldn't even want a safety unless he had a corner background. It's just the way of, of the sport. What about defensive tackle Chris Jones? Now, he's only 25, 24 and a half sacks the past two years he is super talented I don't remember why he fell in the draft uh Matt because he looks like a first round pick I mean he looks like a top 10 pick the way he plays uh did he have off the field issues or was it just an inconsistent motor in college it's a little bit of both but it's this is where player and college staff interviews are so important to the scouting process and these are things that we don't normally see behind the veil and when we do hear about it it's usually one or two points that are leaked and some organizations are also just willing to roll the dice more on players who may be considered at risk or higher risk prospects due to uh, you know how they play on or off the field and when you look at jones he dropped from a potential top 15 pick the 37th overall due to that inconsistency with pad level being a little too high, having that inconsistent motor and knowing whether he had the temperament to change his effort 
is the real issue when it comes to not just film study, but interviewing the player to determine if this is going to be a problem. And if I'm interviewing a player in this situation, I want to determine if he's played with injuries um, that may have hampered him, that the training staff can verify, but maybe weren't made public. And if that isn't the issue, then I want to know if the player is willing to be accountable for his behavior without pointing fingers or making excuses. Whatever Jones said must have satisfied the Chiefs and was likely consistent with what they saw on tape. And Jones had 24 and a half sacks and, you know, over the past two years and is among the, the best at tackles for loss during that span. And when it comes to organizations rolling the dice on players that others aren't, I mean, you've got to look at Tyree Kill as an example, Kareem Hunt, Byron Pringle, who is a player who also had a felony record and has played rather well for them as a special teamer and uh, receiver in empty set packages. And he had some serious off-field concerns as a collegian. So, so is free agent acquisition Frank Clark. So, you know, when you look at Jones, his off-field issues weren't nearly as dramatic as a lot of the players I just mentioned. They weren't violent crimes. Um, you know, what they were looking at and a lot of teams look at is whether his behavior on and off the field was a sign of immaturity that could lead to worse issues because, you know, in addition to the lack of motor and inconsistency, he got arrested the month before the draft for driving with a suspended license. Um, and then, you know, even during the combine, he mistakenly grabbed boxers instead of tights to wear for his 40 time. And a lot of people don't remember this was the guy who ran the 40 and had his manhood slip out of his shorts 15 yards into his run on national TV. And so teams may have looked at these things in layers and said, this is a guy who's a goofball, a knucklehead, can't seem to figure out how to you know, be a mature grown-up. And the Chiefs may have looked at him and said, okay, these are separate factors. We're not going to complain them. And a lot of times what I've been told talking to people who've worked you know, in this capacity in the NFL is that some teams will allow their scouts to editorialize their scouting reports through interviews and make these types of determinations about players, whereas other teams will hire security experts with, you know, law enforcement and psychological, you know, psychology backgrounds and let those people make the determinations and hand the reports to the decision makers so that the decision makers aren't, you know, outside their lane trying to make these types of character um, determinations. And some teams, I mean, look, I was talking to, former scout Russ Landy, who's with the CFL now and talking about a story where they had a power five guy who, you know, was an academically strong guy who a GM, a frustrated GM in Montreal basically turned away because the kid had never been outside the country. Didn't know what a passport was and what a passport, what he needed to get a passport and had a problem getting into um, Canada at the desired time that they needed him for a practice because he had that misunderstanding about a passport and the, you know, the GM was kind of like, look, if he can't figure that out, I don't want him. Whereas some other teams might look and say, look, it's a, a it's just a lack of experience and in being insulated in the United States and not understanding, you know, the details of that. But he's a smart kid who hasn't had any issues. So it just depends on the team and their outlook. That's really interesting. Uh, I talked to Chris Jones Monday night and he's very much looking forward to free agency. But he said, uh, he's obviously looking more forward to the Super Bowl. He's got a good personality. Uh, last but certainly not least, Patrick Mahomes. I, it kind of seems silly now, Matt, that he wasn't the number one overall pick, but there were some very real concerns about how raw he was. It's interesting. I'm friendly with the Chiefs GM, Brett Veach, because he's from near where I'm from, 
we played high school football the same year in Pennsylvania. And he said even back in college, he thought he was the best player he had ever seen, uh, which is quite the compliment. And he might be right. He might be. And, and I, I'm proud to say, because I certainly have my share of misses, just like anybody else scouting this game, it humbles you. But, you know, this was my highest graded quarterback in five years. And I think the lessons that Mahomes reinforced to me was that there's a difference between being bold and reckless as a quarterback. On, on top of that, the other lesson is that throwing mechanics don't need to be manufactured on an assembly line. And then there's this whole idea of what kind of quarterback mentality you have, and it can span the range of something that I'll give you analogy in a minute between Baker and Shep and explain what that's about. And then also just being a perfect fit with the coaching staff and the organization. And when you look at Mahomes, a lot of people said he's a gunslinger. He's reckless. He throws off platform too much. He's not going to be able to make these throws in the NFL. He makes decisions that are just too wild. And when you look at his game you know, at Texas Tech, there's actually a higher rate of plays where you watch him and you can see that the way that he read leverage was very daring. It wasn't reckless. He knew he could make the throws in the tight windows and anticipate certain types of plays that a lot of quarterbacks wouldn't dare do. But he had the arm strength, the ability to do it off platform and anticipate in a way that it was repeatable. And it was something that even if it was unconventional, even though it was unconventional, it was repeatable. And I think that goes the same thing with throwing mechanics because you don't need to be on the assembly line doing the exact same thing the way that, you know, Tom Brady does it in order to have good throwing mechanics. It just has to work. It has to, you have to be able to stay healthy doing it over and over again. And it needs to be something that you can repeat doing. And Mahomes proved that on tape. And then when you look at his type of game, I mean, again, he improvises a lot off script, but he also has skill to be able to play within the pocket and within the play. And I think a lot of GMs, they want that mentality of a Brett Favre or a John Elway or some, or a Russell Wilson who can create a lot. And I call them chefs. Cause you know, when you look at, you know, quarterbacks, they span from cooks or chefs who can kind of create in terms of in their environment and do make little changes to the recipe as it goes, as opposed to bakers who are guys who need a lot of precision. And if things get thrown off a little bit, it's very difficult for them to, to recover. I'd say that Kirk Cousins is much more of a baker than a chef, but he's still a capable quarterback. Tom Brady might be the ultimate chef who makes it look or the ultimate baker who looks like a chef, but he's actually more of a, you know, step at a time kind of guy who's just really been able to do it at a high level. Whereas you look at Mahomes and Wilson, they're much more chefs in that regard. But I think management, the way that they look at drafting players, they want really good bullet points that cover their assets. That's the best way I would put it in terms of why they draft a guy so that people don't question everything that they do. And so as a result, they want chefs, but they end up picking bakers and they end up, um, you know, kind of depressing the value of guys who have more of that creative streak because they're afraid of it looking bad early on. But when you have a guy like Andy Reid, you have a guy like, you know, Brett Beach and the Chiefs who had success with a guy like, you know, Reid had success with Favre, maybe the ultimate chef in the game and a pretty good one in Donovan McNabb and then a competent Baker mentality like Alex Smith, you know, he – he was the type of guy that could fit an offense to either style of player, and he knew how to deal with a guy like Mahomes who, who he could work with 
even as he was developing and be patient about his plays and let Mahomes be the player he is rather than try to change him too much to the point that you lose that special ability that he showed on tape because you're trying to make him conform too much. Well, speaking of covering your assets, cover your assets when it comes to Valentine's Day and go to myfrontpagestory.com for your significant other, the greatest Valentine's Day gift of all time, myfrontpagestory.com. Trust me. Let's go to the Niners and uh, maybe a tale of two receivers on some level, Matt. Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis, a couple of second round picks over the last few years. Yeah. And I mean, Dante Pettis was my top receiver in the draft two years ago in terms of who I graded. And it looks like things were starting well for him. And then you had Kyle Shanahan entering this summer, basically saying, this is a guy who could be one of the top receivers in the NFL. And now he's basically been a reserve all year long and may not be in their long-term plans. Whereas Samuel, the rookie, has played extremely well. And what you get out of this is that, you know, oftentimes, as opposed to, say, a guy like Nicole Hardman, who may not have that multi-tool ability to do everything, those guys can have tremendous value. And Pettis was certainly that guy. He could, um, you know, he was a return specialist, um, owned the Pac-12 record in return yardage. He could play the slot. He could play the X. He could play the Z. And that was one of the reasons why Kyle Shanahan valued him. And he started off pretty well when he stayed healthy. But what they saw was he had some difficulty being able to hold up against physical coverage. He wasn't running as efficient routes as they needed him to. And sometimes he was too creative with his route running. Whereas, you know, sometimes you can look at that as a scout, you know, and and focus on what all the things he can do and not realize that he's being inefficient. And as a result of that, then a, a quarterback may look at him and go, I don't know what he's actually going to be doing, and I don't know when he's going to be breaking and, and when to be able to throw the ball with him because I can't predict what he's doing with his routes. And that may be something that he was doing to mask that lack of ability to you know, get off the line as quickly or to be able to be as physical against tight coverage. And then you enter a guy like Debo Samuel who may not be as physically um, or as technically sound, but physically you know, strong, fast, certainly someone who could handle – tight physical coverage and then also you could use him in a way where even though he may not be a complete route runner he does things well enough that a flexible coach like Al Shanahan can use him more productively um, than an inconsistent Pettis whose physical skills and route consistency has just been problematic so Samuel's stretching the team deep he's winning jump balls he's working the screens working those end arounds and that's enough for an offense loaded with this much talent yeah, it really is. Uh, I love watching Debo Samuel play. Um, how about Fred Warner, the linebacker out of BYU, who I think he was a third-round pick. He's been a find. Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, And I think this is the example of astutely scouting the player for the position that he'll fit best in the NFL and not penalizing him for what position he played in college because Warner was an outside linebacker with a space-type role in a nickel defense at BYU, kind of a hybrid safety linebacker type. And Warner even described that this was a position that they didn't have in the NFL as an equivalent to what he did at BYU. So he, at the Senior Bowl, Warner played middle linebacker and performed really well. And, of course, guess who coached him at the Senior Bowl? It was the 49ers. So they had the benefit of being able to see him practice 
you know, talk to him, you know, in meetings and kind of getting a chance to see him from the classroom to the practice field to the playing field and get a, a little bit of a taste of how he'd be. And they got an understanding of how well Warner worked at middle linebacker. And this was an opportunity to really get a good value because they, they were betting that other teams looked at him as a hybrid and not necessarily a good player for either role, whereas they saw him as a middle linebacker and got an absolute steal. They sure did. They got a steal this year, too. Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round. He's another run-and-hit guy, Matt, that I absolutely love watching. Yeah, and he was drafted as a potential special teams replacement and for depth to Dakota Watson, the player they traded away in exchange for the very pick they used to take Greenlaw. So they actually got an upgrade as opposed to a replacement. And I would call this sometimes, you know, look, Scouting isn't a science. As much as we want to make it be as such, it's never going to be that way. Football's not a science, even though we can certainly get a lot out of data. There's some luck involved, and I think they lucked out on getting Greenlaw. This is a guy who has performed extremely well in lieu of Quan Alexander's injury during the season, and while he was an excellent special teamer, they questioned his football intelligence and lack of physicality to hold up as a linebacker. So far, he's done pretty darn well as that. He's shown potential in, you know, with man-to-man coverage and as a run defender with pretty good range. Um, and the 49ers even told the media they didn't expect any of its late-round picks to make the team. That's what they said early, you know, right after the draft. And Greenlaw not only did that, he thrived you know, as a result of that. And I think some of that also comes down to how you look at off-field you know, in terms of the character of someone it doesn't mean that they have to be a boy scout but you need to see something about players who are willing to kind of stand up for what they believe in have some sort of ability to be resilient some ability not to just subscribe to the norm for the sake of the norm and this was a guy who was adopted who actually there's a story about him that's very well known about him risking his career at arkansas as a freshman at a kegger that he wasn't supposed to be at to stop a potential date rape so this is a guy who was adopted at 14 by a family with multiple sisters. And I think teams wanted players who exhibit character because it drives them to work, grow, and be accountable. And this was a guy who, you know, even that story, in addition to probably interviews and other things that they saw with him, saw someone that was like, here's someone who can deal with adversity. Here's someone that can question things. Here's someone that's willing to stand up for other people in addition to themselves. You know, we like this about him. Let's see if he can play. Let's see if he can use some of the, you know, the soft skills that he has to develop, you know, at, further as a pro. And so far, Greenlaw's played really well. All right, here's the one I got to know. Uh, and I, I'm guessing it was just production, Matt, because they didn't throw him the ball that much. But George Kittle is as good as any player in the entire FL in his third year. And he was a fifth-round pick. And he's a dynamic receiver he's an unbelievable i mean he's an unbelievable player that they got in the fifth round how did that happen yeah i mean and i think the biggest and the best answer to this is that late he's a late bloomer and late bloomers slip past those with really heavy risk management oriented um controls in terms of how they pick players like we talked about with patrick mahomes you know they want the baker more than the chef in terms of how it looks on the on the page And when you look at a guy like George Kittle, he arrived at Iowa as a 6'2", 201-pound player and gained 50 pounds during his career. 
and it was in a steady kind of fashion. Um, and he didn't earn the production that was commensurate, commensurate with kind of his athletic ability filling out. So he didn't have all those important numbers to back up his potential as an early round pick. Cause the, you know, teams, we often like to say that the, that the draft is a predictor of talent, but I disagree with that a lot because I think the draft is a predictor of, um, how, you know, how conservative, how well a player fits the conservative idea of, you know, again, covering your assets. Do you, do you come from the big school? Do you have the production? Do you have the physical talent? Do you measure up in those ways? Do you have the on or off field? And each thing that each time that you don't live up to one of those bullet points, you need at least a couple of those, um, couple of those bullet points to compensate for it so that you can stay in those early rounds because the, the more the media, you know, owners and GMs, they do think about the media and they wonder what those guys, you know, when, the, when there's criticism and it creates, you know, fan criticism, that's an issue for teams at times. And some, some teams are better at being able to ignore that or, you know, work with that than others. And some teams are more reactive. And I think with him, you know, you saw that he wasn't high on the 49ers board. I mean, the, they, they didn't think he would last any later than the third or early fourth round, but still they knew that he was going to be a lower round pick than a first or second day guy, even if he showed first or second first day ability. So they knew he might drop, but again, they got a little luck there too, but also, you know, workouts and relationships with coaches help with them because, you know, the, his tape as a receiver offered few clues of what he could do. I mean, he was used primarily as a great blocker, and then on wheel routes or a deep seam stretcher. So you knew he had burst, and then with the combine really showed, you know, how athletic he really was in a in a in a situation where you didn't necessarily see it all the time on the field. Um, and so as a result of that. I think he was a little more difficult of a projection for teams that most of the teams do their on-film scouting and have everything completed before the combine. So when the combine happened, I think that teams were probably a little slow to react to that and to make the change because they didn't want to, you know, elevate a workout wonder. The biggest problem that teams, you know, one of the biggest things that teams fear too is overreacting to the workout wonder. And there might've been fear of Kurt Kittle being that, um, and so as a result, the 49ers who thought he might be, you know, a third round pick wound him up with him in the fifth round. And he, yeah, he might be one of the best players in the NFL. He's unbelievable. Matt, this podcast was unbelievable. One of my favorites uh, that we've ever done to look at the Super Bowl teams and some of their great young players and figure out what the lessons are to be clean. Going to make the Super Bowl even more enjoyable. If you want to make it even more enjoyable, go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code PODCAST1 with the 50% welcome bonus. We will certainly be all over it as we already were on the Even Money podcast, so check that out. Tomorrow on the Fantasy Feast podcast, we're going to go over all of the individual player prop bets from betonline.ag so you'll know what joe dolan says in terms of where you should go and place your money after you use the promo code podcast one for the 50 percent welcome bonus and obviously you should get the rookie scouting portfolio after what matt just did on this show that was unbelievable matt you're a stud you outdid yourself again other than that the keg is kicked we're all tapped out 
Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.